You can open your Bibles to the Epistle to the Colossians as we draw near to the end. A couple more messages for you from the Apostle Paul and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, we'll be in the fourth chapter. So after prayer, I want to read Paul writing also in 2 Timothy. All Scripture is given by inspiration. It is God-breathed. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, Father, as we do come um, to our open Bibles, we look into the heavens with our eyes, we look into the heavens with our hearts, and we cry out, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Help us now, Father to have understanding. Teach us. Make alive to us that which is dead in our heart. Make seen to us that which is unseen by our eyes. The glorious beauty and the perfection of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, through the preaching of your word. I thank you that you will, Father. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have gone before and that you are here with me now, and I cast myself into your hands and ask that you would find the meditations of my heart and the words that come from my lips pleasing in your sight. For Christ's sake, amen. So, Colossians chapter 4, just a few verses. I am going to read um, through verse 6 from verse 2 of chapter 4. I won't cover it all because we have a place to be a little later on, and you'd be here for a while if I tried, so. But I will read, again, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open a door to the world, so that we might speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains that I might make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside redeeming the time. And let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So this is the word of God. So as Paul is closing out his letter to the Colossian church, to the churches actually of the Lycan Valley, Laodicea, Colossia, Colossae, excuse me. Um, he's providing here some general exhortations. At this point, as we've gone through the letter, Paul has reminded the Colossian believers of the supremacy of Christ and their identity in Christ. He's warned the Colossian believers about the dangers they face from worldly philosophy and false religions. And he's encouraged the Colossian churches to put on the new man in the entirety of their lives, going through chapter 3, not just in their church life, in their home life, in their life in the culture, in society, in all the facets of their lives, put on the new man. And now he turns to some practical exhortations in the Christian disciplines the Christian disciplines. And he begins this section in verse 2 with a simple request. 
Pray. Just pray. Probably the hardest, probably the number one most identifiable weakness in the Christian church today, when we talk about the spiritual disciplines, if you talk to believers about prayer, almost always it will be in the top one or two things they struggle with. So we would benefit by looking a little bit deeper into this passage because the Apostle Paul found that it was important enough that for all of history and indeed into all of eternity it would be written in this book. So it must be important. And one thing I'll point out is the first thing I want you to notice is as he opens up verse 2, again, this is towards the closing of this letter, he says, continue. Yours, the version you're reading, you may say persevere. It may say devote yourself, depending on which version. But it's continue, persevere, devote yourselves in prayer. In other words, what Paul is assuming is that the work of prayer has already taken root in the heart of the people of the churches. So there's an assumption that they already understand what prayer is, why it's important, and why it's a Christian discipline. And they would have received that instruction from the man that Tim preached about last week, Epaphras. Because we see Epaphras at the end of this letter with Paul in jail. And what is he doing? Laboring fervently for them in prayer. While he is confined, Epaphras is laboring fervently in prayer for them. And it is Epaphras that brought the gospel of hope to them. So Paul would be aware that Epaphras' gospel would have included prayer. Prayer as the first work. I know we don't have our bulletins with us today, but if you look in our bulletins or if you look on the electronic one, that's one of the foundational principles that guide the alliance, that prayer is the work of the Christian. So Paul finds it important enough to mention but I want you to recognize, he tells them to continue. This isn't new. Keep doing what you're doing. When we opened up this letter to the Colossian church, as you read Paul, as he was encouraged, I give thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father, praying always for you since I've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, your love for all the saints, the hope that you have. So he has encouraged them and reminded them that what they're doing is bearing fruit. And he wants them to continue. Don't lose your way. For Paul, prayer is not something that is apart from the rest of your Christian life. For Paul, it's an integral part of the entirety of your Christian life. There is no separation. And if we separate prayer from our life, we do a disservice to ourselves and we do a disservice to our Lord. And we think of prayer in that way and that's why so many people struggle with it. If you think these thoughts, I'm gonna begin my day with prayer and I'm gonna end my day with prayer, and I'm going to pray over my lunch, I'm good. 
I'm going to have a season of prayer. In fact, I'm so holy, I'm going to set aside two hours a day to pray. Most of us would think, boy, that guy is godly. And that's a godly thing because prayer is a Christian discipline. But if you're going out through the other 22 hours of that day and you're not in prayer, then you're trusting God for two hours of your day and you've got the rest of it yourself. That's the disconnect. That's why we struggle. It's continuous. And that's what Paul is telling them. Continue in prayer. Don't stop. We find that very difficult. I find it very difficult because my mind wants to tell me that my prayer life is a part of what I do. It's not. Everything I do is bathed in prayer. If it's not, then there's something lacking. And it's this disconnection that makes this hard. We look at prayer like a household chore. Got to go pray. Even if you have the attitude that I get to go pray, we disconnect it as if we can go out and do evangelism. Or I can stand up here in this pulpit and preach. Or you can go into a classroom and teach without the Lord. You can't. If you try, you'll fail. You might get by for a while. We could force our way through it. But if you separate prayer from the rest of your life, you're disservicing the Lord because you're basically telling him, I only need you when I'll ask. I don't realize that when you said in John chapter 15, recorded by the apostles, that apart from me, you can do nothing. You actually meant it. When Paul told those those big head egg people in Greece that we live and move and have our being in him? He meant that. We live, we move, and we have our being in him. He holds us up. And what we do is, and we don't do it to dishonor the Lord. We don't do it with that mindset. But we've got this idea that's stuck in our head that prayer is just one of the things I do. It's like reading my Bible. I just, it's one of the things I do. It wasn't that way for Paul. Everything Paul did, every moment of Paul's life, every instance, Paul was in prayer. That's why he can tell us, always be in prayer. Constantly pray. Pray without ceasing. That's why he can say that, because he recognizes what we've missed and what he's telling them. But secondly, I want you to see how he describes this prayer. So it's a constant. It's a never-ending constant. Right now, while I'm standing here in front of you, I am pleading with God, don't abandon me. You didn't hear me say it till just now, but I can guarantee you it's in my mind. Don't leave me up here by myself. I will mess it up. That's what Paul is telling them. Constantly pray. But he says, earnestly pray. Earnestly. Now, yours again may have a different word in there. It may say a devotional to prayer, to NIV. It may say prayer steadfastly. But there is an earnestness about prayer. And there's a reason that it's an earnest prayer. Prayer is not just, 
I can't think of the words now, they've escaped me, but that, that little prayer we say before we eat, that's just rotely coming out of our mouth, over the teeth and through the gums, look out stomach, here it comes, or whatever. There's a, there's a more religious version of that. And we just say it, but we're not even thinking about it. It's just something we have to do so we can eat now. No, there's an earnestness. Even in your lunchtime prayer, Lord, thank you for this food. There are people all over this globe that have nothing to eat. And we're going to go next door in a nice facility and we're going to fellowship with each other and there will be an abundance of food. What a blessing. There's an earnestness. And that earnestness is because we acknowledge in our prayers that we rely on him. Your pride will crumble under your prayer because you will recognize in the earnestness of your prayers that apart from him, you can do nothing. That the food on your table, the person sitting on your arm, the baby that we have with us this week, they were all given to us as a blessing from the hand of God. And he just blesses and blesses and blesses. And we need him. Yes, men, we need him. And that's what happens as we go into this earnest prayer closet where we recognize and we speak with our mouths, Father, I need you. Why? Because I'm weak. I'm easily tempted. I will look away in an instant. I will take over my life in a moment. I need you to help me not to do that because I will mess this up. And we also acknowledge the faithfulness of our Father. When you pray to God, you are acknowledging that God exists. You probably don't think of it that simply, but when you're praying to God, you're acknowledging He's there. You're saying with the Lord Jesus Christ at the tomb of Lazarus, thank you, Father, for hearing me. Thank you that you always answer me. You may not give me what I ask for because my heart is tainted, but you always answer. And that's what you're doing. And he's faithful. You can agree with Peter. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Your heavenly father actually does care for you. When you're struggling financially, when you're having issues in your relationships, when you're seeing things in the news, when you're being tempted by your own flesh, he cares, and he's willing, and he's able, and he has an intention to do good for you because he's your heavenly father. That's this earnestness that we enter into prayer. We don't enter into prayer as a last resort. We enter into prayer as our first choice, and we earnestly enter in. And that's what the apostle is saying. Continue earnestly in prayer. And then notice as he continues on, he says, being vigilant in it. Being vigilant in it. Being watchful. Having an alert mind. So when we pray, we don't pray aimlessly. We are vigilant. When we start our day, when you started this day, when you start tomorrow, do you take a moment to think about, for the next 10 minutes, it's just me. So God, God, protect me from myself. 
After that 10 minutes, my wife's going to get up, and now I have to deal with her too. So help me there. And then for those of you that have little ones, then the babies are going to start squalling. So help me. And then we're going to get into this big thing, trying to get breakfast eaten so we can get off to church. I remember when we used to try to come to church as a family. I feel for ones with little kids. By the time we got here, we all needed God because we were likely to kill each other on the way. And it was every Sunday. But do you think about that? Are you alert to the fact that you have weaknesses about you? Are you alert to the fact that when you go into your office and in the job you do, you know that one guy, that one gal, that's just going to grate on your nerves? We all have them. Are you alert to that? Are you praying about it? Are you asking God, God, help me. Help me to love that person the way Christ loved me. Because I would have been grating on everybody in my circle. Are you alert to that? Are you alert to the fact that you are tempted by the world? I tried this. I mentioned it years ago. I tried with all I could to watch television with a notepad to sit there and look at all of the worldly deceptions that were being presented to me. That was my intent. It didn't take 10 minutes. The notepad had been put down and I was absorbed in the TV. We don't even recognize what's being fed into us. Are we aware of it? Are we sober-minded, as Peter would say? Are we diligent? Do we recognize the danger? Be vigilant. Recognize your weakness. And recognize that God displays his power in your weakness. He didn't put you in this world and send you out among wolves, ill-equipped. Read the last chapter of the book of Ephesians, same author, Paul, the armor of God, so that as we stand in the day of battle, we stand in the armor of God, the chestplate of righteousness, having our loins girded with the belt of truth, our head covered by the righteousness, our feet shod with peace, God gives us these things so that we can go out and engage in battle and having battled to stand. Not to lose, to stand. The gates of hell themselves will not prevail against God's church. We do not fight against flesh and blood. We do not fight against the neighbor across the street that doesn't do this or does do that. We do not fight against the person that grates on our nerves. We do not fight against our boss. In fact, Paul has said what? Serve your masters as Christ. A couple of verses earlier. We're comfortable in that fight. We don't recognize when Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. He wasn't calling Peter Satan. He recognized who had control of Peter at that moment. A thought, a thought that Peter had, Lord, no, no, get behind me, get behind me. That's being alert to recognize the enemy and to pray yourself ready for that, recognizing that he is a prowling lion 
that he is on this earth. He exists, and he is roaming right now, looking for whom he might devour. And he has hordes of principalities and underlings that are out in this world that are going to deceive you and trip you up. They're going to smear you, and they're going to smear your father. Are you aware of that? Paul, don't just be earnest. Don't just continuously pray. Be vigilant. Be vigilant. We are in a battle. But he doesn't stop. With thanksgiving. This is descriptive of our prayers. Our prayers are earnest. They're energetic. They're full of energy, not because we're great, but because the one we're praying to is great. They're protective as we're vigilant, and they're full of gratitude. They're full of gratitude. Philippians, again, written by Paul, be anxious for nothing, but let your requests be made known to God with prayer and thanksgiving, and he will garrison your heart He will set a military unit around your heart, a warring angel, as it were, to guard you against the assaults of Satan. That's his response. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Again, why do we have that in there? Because it is acknowledging something. It's acknowledging what God has done for me already. I stand here today because of him. I have a beautiful wife, children, grandchildren, a home, you. I have all of this. I deserve none of it. I deserve to be condemned. But I have a little English muffin thing this morning. I love those things. I had water. I just had a breath. So I look at what God has given me, and and I'm sure you guys are with me on this. I have said to the Lord, Lord, if you never do another thing for me, I will worship you forever. Because you owe me nothing. And not only do we look back in our gratitude for what God has done, but we look forward by faith that his promises are yes and amen in Christ. So as we are alerted to these situations that are coming up in our lives, as the Colossian church is dealing with the Judaizers who are trying to give them faith plus, as they're dealing with the world's philosophers, and we're dealing with them today, they dealt with them. As they're dealing with these things, they just look to the cross and they say, no, it's Jesus only. That's enough. He is enough. His promise is yes and amen. He has begun a work in me. His promise is he'll complete it. He'll complete it. His promises cannot be broken. I am secure in Christ. And in my Father's hand, none can take me out. So there's thanksgiving, looking back at what we've received, looking forward to what's to come that we... Joy inexpressible. Just imagine that day is coming when you're going to stand and see him as he is. Oh, what a day that will be, the old gospel song. What a day that will be. 
Get a little worked up, sorry. The last part, <laughs> almost started running the aisles. <laughs> that will be a day. Anyway, I got to come back down to the earth here because I might, I might be gone here. The last thing I want you to notice is as Paul is writing this, another thing about our prayer is it's intercessory. We prayed this morning for hillbilly. I don't know hillbilly, um, but we prayed for hillbilly. Paul, as he's writing, is telling them, meanwhile, meanwhile, as you're doing all of this that we find so difficult, while you're doing that, would you pray for me too? Would you pray that God would open a door for me to speak the word, the mystery of Christ for which I am currently bound? Would you pray that God would do that for me? The Apostle Paul. There's this intercession because Paul is not just telling them, look, you need to do this because you need to do this. Paul is acknowledging at this moment I need you to do this for me because I need it too. I need God to open a door that no man can open. The time Paul is writing this, he is in house arrest in Rome. This is not the great apostle Paul who traversed the entire globe, spreading the gospel and being chased by the Jews everywhere he went. At this moment, he is a captive. His freedom is gone. So what does he say? Would you play for me that the Lord would get me out of this jail? No. Right now the Lord has seen fit that I am to be jailed. Would you pray that he would open a door so that I can speak the mystery of Christ to the guy that's going to be chained to me? To the people, as you look at the end of the book of Acts, as Paul is under house arrest that are coming to visit the apostle, would he open a door so that when the Jews come, I can give them the mystery of Christ, that I can speak that as I ought so that they can hear the voice of God? Would you help me, Lord, open a door so that when the Gentiles come, I can speak the gospel in such a way that they can receive it and realize that he's not the, the God of the Jew only, but the God of the whole world? Would you open a door so that when the Roman magistrates are before me, I can in boldness speak the gospel, though they have the power to take my very life. That's the Apostle Paul. That's intercession. Even the Apostle recognizes in his frailty, he would, he would be squeamish. Without Christ, Stephen would not have given his testimony, which resulted in his stoning, which scattered the church throughout the world. Without Christ, Peter would not have been recognized as the great orator of thousands of conversions because before the Spirit of God came on him, he'd messed it up pretty good. So we intercede because we need God and I need him just as much as you. So as Paul writes this, we remember that we are interceding not just for ourselves, not just for our church family, not just for my own house and wife and children, but for my culture, for my society, for my employers. We pray, intercede for the world. 
And we can do that because we have one right now that is interceding for us. His name is Jesus. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father right now, interceding in prayer for you. So it's intercessory. It's devotional. It's steadfast. It's earnest. It's in vigilance, understanding we are weak. The enemy is strong. God is stronger. We are frail. Paul says it's a different way at the end of the Ephesian letter in chapter 6, verse 18. As he closes out that section of Scripture, he says, pray always. There's that command that we struggle with again. Pray most of the time. Pray some of the time. No, pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me. That's Paul writing to the Ephesian church. Same message. Pray for me. Pray for your brothers. Pray for your sisters. Pray for yourself. Pray for your wife. Pray for your children. Pray for your job. Pray for your finances. Pray for the food. Pray for your sleep. Pray for your thought life. Pray that your eyes will be shielded. Pray, 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 pray. Because as soon as you stop, you'll be like David and you'll see Bathsheba and it's over. Be watchful. God's king, one look. First woman, one look. Boy, that apple, I say apple, that fruit looks good. That fruit looks good. Sin entered the world. David looked at Bathsheba. Wow, she's good looking. Who is that? Oh, that's the wife of one of my warriors. That's no big deal. Bring her over here. Went down a road. One look. King David. One look's all it takes. Pray always. That's what Paul is telling them. Because he recognizes their challenges, just like you have them today. He's written to them about these challenges. He's warning them about these challenges. He's warning them about these dry clouds that don't produce rain. That's what Jude calls them. These empty people that come in with this vanity and they turn your eyes away from the Lord Jesus Christ and the next thing you know, you're like Peter crying out, save me, Lord, I'm sinking. Good news is, he will. Jesus taught his disciples a parable in chapter 18 of Luke's gospel that men ought, here you go, always to pray. (laughs) And not to lose heart. Be persistent because you have a great need. We can do nothing apart from him, but he has a great help, the Holy Spirit. Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, as we struggle as we look out into this world, as we see the creation, as we see the fallen nature that we reside in, sometimes we are so heartbroken that we can't even speak. And he reminds us that the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. The Spirit is not an it. The Spirit is not 
the force. The Spirit is a person that sees you when you are so broken or when you are so needy that you don't even know what to pray for. And just like a father or just like Jen right now holding that baby, he picks you up. He understands you. And Paul goes on to say that he himself makes intercession for you with groans that can't even be muttered. So when you're in those moments and you don't know how to pray, Lord, I don't know what to ask for. God knows your heart. Look to him. Trust that he's there. Trust that he's listening. And if you don't know what to say, rest. Because the Holy Spirit himself will intercede on your behalf. And he will lift up your request to the Father. He never asks of you what he's not willing to do for you. If you will just let him. And that's what the apostle starts with. The discipline of prayer. The importance of prayer. So never struggle in it. Never assess your performance in it. It should be a part of who you are. It's one of the B's. It's not one of the necessarily the B attitudes of Matthew. But we are always to be in prayer. In other words, our mind is always to be on Christ. Our eyes always set on him. For he's our high place. He's our hiding place. He's our fierce warrior. He's our peace. He's our healer. He's our sanctifier. He's our coming king. He is altogether lovely. He is altogether beautiful. He is altogether able. He's altogether willing. And he loves you with an everlasting love. So pray. Father, I thank you for the Apostle Paul. I thank you that, Lord, as we look into the heart and the mind of the Apostle Paul, we see that he understood that apart from you, there was nothing he could do. He had done great things in his flesh, but Father, he counts it all as rubbish, casting it all behind him as he presses forward to the high call that you had on his life. And he knows, Lord, he knows, the Apostle Paul, the great writer, the theologian, the doctrinal genius, knows that apart from you, he's nothing. Lord, if the Apostle Paul understood that, help me to understand that today. Help our church to understand that. Help your church throughout the world to understand that our prayer is more than a duty. It's more than just a work, Father. It's us casting ourselves into your loving hands and acknowledging that we need you. Knowing that when we do that, you hear us and you will answer. And so I thank you for these reminders and I ask, Father, now that as we close out this service, as we go out into our week, help us to be people of prayer. For Christ's sake, amen. Amen.